welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. My name is Zach Falconer Barfield. I am the founder and one PG of the Perfect Gentleman, and alongside me is the devilishly handsome and indubitably charming Mr. James Marwood. Hello, sir. Hello, Zach. I do love these intros. <laughs> I'll try to make them longer and longer, maybe. That's the way to do it, rather than battle the thesaurus. Yes. Just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Very well, sir. Very well. <laughs> Carrying on our, our theme of September of the back to work and back to school, and we did get asked about this. Some of our listeners asked us about to do a bit more on productivity, personal productivity. This is your area of expertise, James. It is. Well, it's something I've been forced into by necessity because I am by nature a procrastinator. I'm a little bit lazy. And so I have to make sure that I organize myself in order to get what I need to do done. If I don't pay attention to it, I get distracted and and my mind goes elsewhere. It happens to us all. Indeed. So, first of all, I'm a really big fan of the getting things done methodology, David Allen's system, and that's what I use. But it's not for everybody. So I'm going to talk about some things that are useful for most people. Excellent. Most of us organise our productivity and work out what we need to do by using a to-do list. That's how I started with things, and most of us probably make lists. And that's a good place to start. It is, and lists are fine insofar as they go. But one of the issues I have with them is that it's a little bit like that Mike Tyson quote, that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Your list is great up until you actually start working and your priorities get changed by a boss coming in or by some new piece of work coming up, a call from a customer or a client, something from your family, and that list goes out of the window. So one of the things that I think is important is I like to have a whole life to-do list. So I don't have a work to-do list. I don't have a home to-do list. And the only list I keep separate is my shopping list. Everything else sits in the one big master list. On that is everything that I need to do from the work I need to do for clients, the administration I need to do for my business, the things I need to do in the house, the honeydew items that my other half gives me. All of those sit on that one list so I can see them all in the same place. Now, obviously, not every activity and action is applicable to every scenario. So one of the things I also do, which is a a GTD-based thing, is look at the context. So alongside every item on my list, whether that's a written list or on some software, it has a context with it, which is basically where I can do that. And the reason that's really useful is that it allows me to make use of the little small blocks of time that I have. So when I have 10 minutes between calls or I have half an hour on the train, or I'm sitting waiting at a client's office and I know that I've got there a bit early, I'm going to have 15 minutes, I can look at this list and say, right, what have I got available to me at the moment? Well, I've got my telephone. What's on my calls list? So I can look at, okay, I've got to call this thing. And that could be I've got to call somebody about a job. It could be I want to call a pal of mine to catch up and just say hello. It could be that I need to book my car in for some new tyres. And all of those are on that calls list. So I can make use of those small little bits of time which would otherwise be wasted. Tony Robbins, the great personal development guru, calls those things no extra time, net time. You're using time that you didn't think that you had. Absolutely. And it's amazing how much of that there is. When you start filling up those little bits of time, you can knock these tasks off your job. And there's something so satisfying about crossing things off a list. Very much so. I love doing that. Even even sometimes if I do something and that wasn't on my list, I'll write it on and then cross it off. <laughs> it gives me that little feeling of a task well done. The dopamine hit. The dopamine hit. Exactly right. 
another thing which is useful, which is along similar lines. I try and keep all my material related to one area grouped together. If I'm working with paper files, I use little paper folders and I have related to each task I'm doing all the pieces of paper related to that task in one folder. And if I'm working electronically, I keep emails, not so much. I tend to rely more on search for emails than foldering now. But any files around a particular topic, I keep bundled together in one folder or using some software in a, a notebook or sorted by tags so that it's really easy for me to engage back with a piece of work really quickly. So if I look, right, I've got 20 minutes, half an hour on my calendar free. That would be a good time for me to start working on this report. I can open up the folder, pull out the paper folder, and I've got everything I need for that report. But also, when then there's a knock on the door or a phone call or a new email lands that I have to deal with, it's really easy for me to package that all back up and put it away and disengage with it. Because one of the tricks to productivity, especially for me, is the ability to quickly engage and quickly disengage from a particular piece of work. I think the science largely bears this out, but multitasking is largely a myth. We don't really multitask as such. What we do is switch between different tasks rapidly. And there's a thing called continuous partial attention, which means that when you have things that you need to keep an eye on, they eat up a little bit of your attention, almost like cycles on a computer. You know, If you've got programs running in the background, your computer slows down. Your brain is a little bit the same there. It's an oversimplification, but it's a useful analogy. So being able to package up a task and put it away in a way that I trust I can pick it up and re-engage with at a later point lets me stop thinking about that much more quickly. As you said, multitasking is, is a myth. One of those things which I always do, I, I don't know whether you'll come on to, but one of the things I do is I've turned off all my email notifications. Yes. I have my turn off when I'm doing a piece of work, if I have to concentrate on something. I close the email program down, I close everything down and have on my screen and, and front of me the stuff that I'm working on so I do not get distracted. Absolutely. I think that's really important. I tend to put my phone onto airplane mode or and to do not disturb, I turn off the email program and I don't have my email program set to regularly poll for messages, regularly check. It does it when I tell it to, apart from for one account for key clients. And also I am, I only put that on when I'm actively available. I don't have it running as default. Not everybody can do this, depending on the nature of your job. If you allow your email to be open all the time, and you allow your IM to be open all the time in your telephone, effectively what you're doing is you're allowing anybody who's ever had your contact details to interrupt you at any time. And that is crazy. If we think about time as, as money, if I just wandered into your office and said, uh, Zach, could I have £50? <laughs> you'd, you'd laugh and you'd say, no, I'm not going to give you £50. But if I wandered into your office and said, hey, Zach, have you got half an hour for me to waste your time? You'd probably say... Yeah, okay. Well, you would, because you're on top of this stuff. But a lot of people would, yes. Merlin Mann, who's a, a productivity writer, I used to write about productivity, I really like it. It's that little bit of that, that hand in the small of your back when someone comes into your office and leans over and puts the hand in the small of your back and says, hey, James, have you got a minute to talk about this? And actually, is that the most useful thing to be doing at that time? Possibly, but probably not. By turning off those notifications, it stops me looking at them it stops me hiding an email when I should be doing work and checking my, my email rather than actually doing something productive. 
but it stops those disruptions which can just throw your day right out. All it takes is one 20-minute phone call and one 15-minute email in a couple of short IMs. And all of a sudden, what was a useful block of time is blown away. I agree. Warren Buffett's business partner is Charlie Munger. And Chet Holmes used to run Charlie Munger's businesses for him. He said he used to hate just-a-minute meetings. He would tell people, there's a schedule for my just-a-minute meetings. It's on two days a week and it's an hour. If you want just-a-minute meetings, fill up that schedule. If, if it's absolutely deathly urgent, then you can disturb me but only under pain of, you know, has it been a nuclear bomb? Is there an earthquake? Has someone died? It's kind of that level of emergency. And obviously for some of us in the jobs we do, we have to be available to customers or to clients, but try and manage those. There's a lot of things you can do now with technology where you have VIP lists and things like that. So I have four or five of my key clients who are there in my VIP list, my parents and my other half. And they're really the only people who are allowed to interrupt me. Anyone else gets dealt with at a different point. You know, it gets shifted to the beginning of the day, just after lunch, or the end of the day, which is when I deal with voicemails, emails, IMs, messages, etc. There's a really useful piece of thinking, which came out of a guy called Paul Graham, who is one of the chaps behind Y Combinator, the startup incubator. And he talks about manager's time, maker's time, or manager schedule, maker schedule. His idea is that for developers and software coders and guys like that, the most useful minimal block of time is about six hours. That Anything less than that, you can't really get a lot done, and so it's not useful. So putting anything during that block of time will throw you out. And that actually applies to much more of us, I think, than we realise. For a lot of managers... And a lot of people who bounce from meeting to meeting, the most useful minimal amount of time is probably about 15 minutes, half an hour. There's no mistake that that's normally the default time in a calendaring program. But for a lot of us, and especially when maybe we're being that bounce-to-bounce manager one day, but the next day we've got to sit at a desk and create a document or we've got to spend time um, thinking that is not a useful way to organise your day. So that is another idea, which is to try and batch your meetings or your interruptions at certain points, at the end of the day, the beginning of the day, or just after lunch, as I said. So that gives you extended periods of time to really get into the meat of a piece of work. If you can block yourself out two four-hour sections during your day or two three-hour sections during your day where you're just doing actual work, you're just taking information and adding value to it or you're creating things or you're making things or you're you're working in your workshop makes you much, much more productive. I also, I've read in some studies that basically say you can only concentrate for 45 minutes a maximum generally and then you need to take some kind of break. You need to distract yourself some way, shape or form and distract yourself is not Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. It is basically get away from the desk, do something that you're switching your brain into another framework, as it were. And that can be just as simple as going up and getting a glass of water. I think it's really useful to stand up at least once an hour and pace around to just change the context of what you're doing and the way your brain's engaging with it, but not engaging then in a new task or something which is going to suck your attention into something else. Exactly. Another thing that I think is really useful, which is going along with those blocks of time and planning out your day and your whole life to-do list, and that is another GTD idea, but one I think works for a lot of people, is to do a weekly review. Roughly two hours to go through all of the tasks that you need to do for the week ahead. It allows you to think about your week and your upcoming work in a useful way. 
It allows you to get some of that thinking out of the way so that when you're in the thick of it, when you're battling your daily task and you're in the heat of work, a lot of the thinking has already been done. So you know that these are my one, two, three priorities for this week. And we'll come back to priorities in a moment. But I know, for example, that this coming week, because I did my weekly review on Friday afternoon, I know that I have administration work that I have to get done for my accountant and for the taxman. That has to happen. I know I have some things I need to do for engaging with a new client that I'm starting with in a couple of weeks. And that has to happen. And then I know that I have maybe 15 or 20 other pieces of work that I want to look at articles I want to write, things I want to read, phone calls I need to make, a couple of applications I need to do, I need to resubscribe to a couple of membership lists, things like that. But I don't need to sit in a morning and think about what I have to do or look at my email to say, hmm, what's next? It's all there. I've already thought about it. And I know then that if something comes in and interrupts me, what can I allow to slip? So I know I can't let my administration slip. I can't let stuff for the new client slip. Those have to happen no matter what. The resubscribing to these membership lists, if something comes in and takes my time and actually I don't get to that till Friday or it slips a week, that's fine. I've already made that decision. It's about understanding what are the things which are on my mind, getting them out of my mind onto paper or into a computer program, onto a list, and then understanding what has to happen, what would be nice to happen, and what is kind of, eh, if it if it doesn't happen, no biggie. I do a very similar thing. I tend to do my weekly review on a Sunday, plan my week out, plan my exercise routine out, set my priorities for the week, all that sort of stuff. Because also then on a Sunday, I kind of know what my plan for the week is. So I don't have to uh, think about it too much. And one of the things I tend to do with that is during that, I, I look at my calendar, I look at two weeks back and two weeks forward. What have I got coming up? What have I had to do? And that just jogs me for anything I might have forgotten. So if I know that, okay, I had a meeting with Dave on Thursday, what was the outcome of that? Ah, yes, I need to send him this file. It just helps me pop that on my to-do list. And then sending someone a file is really straightforward. One nice little hack actually for that, a little trick, is if something takes about two minutes to do or less, don't write it down, just do it. It takes as much time to write it down and, and add a context and plan it as it do, just get it done and out of the way. And if you get into that habit, you'll find you knock a lot of things off your list that you weren't expecting and you get a lot more done than you would have thought. My final point is around priorities. I've had this with clients before where you go and talk to someone and you talk to a manager and they say, well, I've got 16 priorities. No, you haven't. You can't have that many priorities. You might have 16 different things which are all important, but they can't all be there for you to focus on and you don't have enough bandwidth to be able to give those all the attention they deserve. That's one of the things that you need to look at while you're considering your review, you're considering the actions that you need to take, is actually what are the one, two, three, maybe four things that has to happen. If you've got more than that, then you need to go back and renegotiate some of these commitments you've made because you can't possibly keep up with all of that. This is an incredibly important point. I think we overstuff our to-do lists and our projects and our priorities and we kind of go, oh, we need to do this, we need to do these 20 things and you, you can't do 20 things. And I think that comes back to what you said about the impact on time. You know, time is our most precious commodity. We only have the 24 hours in the day. You have to use your 24 hours a day well and efficiently. I think it's not 
not just time, it's also time and attention. Yes, yeah. Because attention is a finite resource as well. You've only got so many hours in the day that your brain can actively be driving focused attention on something. And some of us are really good at that. Some of us are really poor. I'm not great at it. If I know that I've got 10 hours to work today, I can't pay laser focused attention in all those 10 hours. Making sure that I have those big rocks that I have to break to get out of the way if I've got more than two or three of those, I know my day is going to be terrible. So on that point, something that I've kind of recently discovered in more detail, it's actually a David Allen thing which someone else expanded on, was about difference between projects and tasks. How we kind of assume a project is a task. The example was clean and tidy the house. Clean and tidy the house is a project, not a task. Then the task is hoover the living room, hoover the lounge, clean the bathroom. Those are tasks. The project is clean and tidy the house. Absolutely. One of the examples that is quite useful is, and it's something I do when I find myself procrastinating on something, it's normally because I haven't defined the tasks that make up the action. So if we think about one of the things I was procrastinating on recently, which was submitting some documents to a, a background check for a potential future client, and I had this task on then, it, it ran for a couple of days, which were submit documents. And I wasn't doing it and I couldn't get my brain to engage with it because I hadn't actually worked out what the tasks were. What I needed to do was to submit the documents, I need to think about what actually had to happen. So do I know which documents to submit? No. So how do I find out those documents to submit? Do I have their contact details? No. Who does? Well, one of the other chaps in that office. Okay, so the action is actually pick up the phone, press the numbers and speak to the guy in the office with those contact details. It's not submit the documents. And because my brain subconsciously knew that, I didn't want to do it. It's very true, and I think we forget that. It comes back to that great saying, and I always forget who said it, spend seven hours sharpening the saw or the axe before actually cutting down the tree. Yes, this Einstein quote that is around, if I had eight hours to solve a problem, I'd spend seven hours and 50 minutes thinking about it and 10 minutes doing it. That's a bit of an exaggeration, probably, and I've probably got the quote wrong. But the value is in really making it easy for your lazy, poorly evolved lizard and mammal brain to do something that it knows what to do. If you can make that decision to say, this is my next action, and get that down, it makes life so much easier. Talking about military planning, especially in the special forces side of things, you speak to them, they just plan and plan and plan and plan and plan and plan and plan for every eventuality. You have to have some flexibility, but in principle, with relevance to what we're talking about, not being specific about actual action, you have to plan and you have to make detailed plans of those plans. You plan everything through and you go through all those actions to execute those plans. One of the things I do, for example, a piece of work I did recently was writing some training material for a business improvement team in a bank. It's a huge piece of work. You know, it was months of work. But when I first started planning it, I sketched out what the sorts of key milestones and what needed to happen. But the most important thing were the next two or three actions that I needed to take. I needed to gather some information. I need to, to arrange a meeting with the client to understand their requirements. And I needed to look at and research what they already had. Three really simple actions that I can move on straight away. Complete those. What are my next three? What are my next three? And that makes it much easier to be able to actually give me something I can engage with rather than a huge amorphous blob of create training material. We can talk about this all the time. We'll make develop a little PG and James Marwood personal productivity program, possibly in the future. Although nothing that I've said is not things that have been done 
elsewhere. There's so much stuff out there to read on this. But for me, the guy who nails it best of all is David Allen. If you haven't looked at his book, Getting Things Done, I would strongly recommend it. But there are other approaches as well, and you've got to work out what works best for you. Absolutely. Well, maybe we'll talk about this in the future, because sometimes it's hard to find a place to start. That's the problem. It is. If people have specific questions related to this, always happy to answer and talk about those. What are the best ways for them to get in touch with us, Zach? Well, you can drop us an email at enquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv or you can contact us on all our social media channels, which is The Perfect Gentleman or P Gentlemen on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And James Marwood is... Marwoodchap on Twitter, thatmarwoodchap.com from our website. Our wonderful partners, the English Cream Tea Company, deliver a fresh take on tradition. The English Cream Tea Company offers quintessentially British gifts. Choose from the freshly prepared afternoon tea hampers to be hand-delivered right to your door throughout mainland UK, or select from a range of gift vouchers. There are also postable gifts of award-winning chocolate brownies, tea, delicious shortbread, and even cheese-please tuck tins with delicious cheese scones and chutney. After all, the perfect gentleman needs to be able to send the perfect gift, whether it's to say thank you, congratulations, or season's greetings. And the English Cream Tea Company supplies that, complete with your own personalised gift message. Who do you know who would not love the gift of afternoon tea? So go to theenglishcreamtea.com for a charming touch of British indulgence. So talking about courses, very briefly, we are now launching our Perfect Gentleman courses. Excellent. I thought I'd take this opportunity just to give you a little brief overview about what we're doing. The courses are launching in London to start with, and then as we spread the Perfect Gentleman message around the world, and our franchisees do, they will go around the world with us. Talk a few about our the business courses that we're launching this September in London. The first course we're talking about is Working in a Room and Building Relationships otherwise known as networking, but I hate the term networking. It's a little too enforced. Working a room is kind of a skill. It's a technique that you can do. And building relationships is really basically what networking is about or should be about. For three hours, you learn the skills about how to work a room incredibly well, like politicians and great business people tend to do. And we also tell you how to build great relationships from pretty much any situation that you come across, whether that's a formal networking situation or over the course of your working life. So that's one of the first courses we're doing on the business course. And then the next side of the business gentleman courses we're doing is the art of speaking well. So one of the things we have discovered, this is not about presentation or pitching, which is another skill set in itself, but the ability to communicate well. So how to communicate well? What is communication? How do you speak? How do you put your words together, your vocabulary, your accent, your context, and all the things that go into speaking well? Great actors and great orators and politicians learn these skills These skills are now available through us for you, for your everyday use and your ability to communicate better. And especially in today's digital world, especially the younger ladies and gentlemen of the world, they are not as competent as doing this as they used to be because of the digital world. We're not as great at speaking to each other. And that's a half day course. And that's for ladies and gentlemen as is the working a room and building relationships course. They're both for ladies and gentlemen to attend. And not quite business gentlemen, as we've discussed, but in that framework of uh, three courses which we've developed, which are launching as well, which is picking a perfect suit, building a wardrobe, and dining etiquette, which are all relevant to your business relationships and business world, but not necessarily 
what I would call business gentleman courses. All the courses are on the website. Details are across social media if you want to find out about them. They're all in London. They're all very reasonably priced. They're all around £35 uh, for the three-hour courses, and they can be up to £100 for the half-day course. But we do pack a lot in, and we hopefully see you on a Perfect Gentleman course. Those sound like they should be a lot of fun, and I think really useful skills that you can apply to a lot of different contexts. Yes. And the perfect gentleman, as we always do, we like to back up all our courses and our information with hard data, facts, skills, proven abilities. This is not stuff that we've just pulled out of the ether. And they're taught by myself, uh, some of them are taught by James, some of them are taught by industry experts in their field. You can find more details on our website and across our social media platforms. There we go. And so the last bit today is a new contributor to our perfect gentleman world is the lovely Devro Walton. We came across her through social media, uh, we interacted, and she wanted to become part of our Perfect Gentleman Contributor family. We did a little interview with her, and she's going to talk a little bit about Job Search 101. So it is my great pleasure to welcome Deborah Walton to the Perfect Gentleman family. I have exchanged contact details with her across social media and then she uh, deigned to join our little contributor family. Devro, it's a pleasure to have you on board. Likewise, thank you. I'm excited and happy to be here. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do and who you are and then we'll jump into your topic this month. Yes, definitely. I live in Dallas, Texas in the United States and I launched a fashion blog called The Prep Pursuit in August of 2015. And my idea around that was really just to showcase and highlight preppy traditional style here from the the southwestern region of the United States of America. Earlier this year, in August, I decided to expand my topics to also include etiquette and culture. And the blog now represents really a snapshot of the entire lifestyle of a person that is really interested in the preppy life. So what you're wearing, how you're acting, how you're interacting with others. But I am certainly happy to share the advice and the tips and the tutorials with both ladies and gentlemen on both YouTube and my blog. Well, fabulous. And we admire you and applaud you for your uh, endeavours, Devro. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. This month, you've delved into the topic of job search and job interviews. What have you come up with, Devro? I look at this perspective as job searching the etiquette of the journey. It's really around two different types of job seekers. The first would be a person that is a career advancer. This is the lady or gentleman that is in the field. They want to stay in the same field, but they are just looking to move up. The second is the person that's a career switcher. And this is the person that wants to switch fields. It could be something completely different, or it could be something that's related, but you don't necessarily have all of the skills and all of the experience to transition into that new role. For each different perspective or situation, there's a couple of different tips that I give um, in the article. You can find this as well for how to navigate through that process. So we can start with the career advancer. 
For someone that wants to stay within the same field, the first thing you want to do is take a look at some job descriptions. You want to look at the relevant experience and the skills that are required for the positions you're interested in. It's important to make sure that your resume is updated. You can actually use job descriptions in order to update your resume, making sure that some of the required skills and fields that are listed on that job description are also included in your resume as well. I know a lot of people when they're applying for jobs typically have one resume and it's like a one size fits all approach, but this is totally not the case here. Every job that you apply for, you should have a specific resume tailored to that specific job description. You're more likely to get through some of the scanners and the different technology that companies are using these days as they're searching for job applicants. Sometimes it's not even a human person looking through hundreds or thousands of resumes and applications. So if you have your resume specific to each job that you apply for, you're much more likely to get a call back and really get the opportunity to at least speak to someone about that job. Now, the next thing for the career advancer as they're updating their resume is to also update their LinkedIn profile. It's crucially important that if you're seeking for a job, everything is up to date. If you have experience or skills or accomplishments that are not listed on your resume or your LinkedIn, there's no way a prospective company can find out or be aware of some of the great things you've already accomplished. So when you're seeking a job, it's crucial to make sure that everything is updated. And on your LinkedIn, if you haven't been on that profile in a while, get a nice clean headshot, make sure you've got a summary section, make sure your contact information is updated. Just make sure that your digital professional profile is accurate and it's available for anyone that's looking for you online. Very solid advice there. Now, the next step is going to be applying for jobs. Typically, what I used to do when I was job seeking was I created a spreadsheet and every single job I applied for, I added to it. I would keep the name of the company, the name of the position, the date I applied, and if there was a job ID number, I would log that in too. As you're applying for jobs, if you're applying to, for example, 50 jobs in one month, how are you really going to remember exactly where you applied or when you applied? I also wanted to know the timeline of how long it was taking. When I applied for a job, I would really be interested in how long after I submitted my application did I hear back for a first round or second round interview. This was just really good for me to gauge and understand the timeline of the process. That way I could set my own expectations for when I could hopefully transition into a new role. Now this spreadsheet is also very helpful for when you're networking. And this is the next step of the career advancer job etiquette journey. Networking is so important because there are only so many jobs out there and there are far more people qualified with the relevant skills and experience for these jobs. Networking is really a great way that you can stand out. We're all applying online. We're all doing the same things when we're seeking a job. So how can you really stand apart from that group of 1,000 or 10,000? 
you have to network. Putting a name to a face and knowing someone within an organization that you're trying to get into is crucially important. If you're able to apply for a job and list someone's name down as a referral, it's quite helpful because more than likely after your application is submitted, someone within that organization will reach out to that person and they can vouch for you. They can say that they know you, they know your work ethic, they can speak to you and really give you the human qualities to really add and complement your resume that's just on a piece of paper or a digital file. You can find out about different networking events around the city. Definitely when you go, have your business cards ready. If you take resumes, have those ready. But the most important thing here is all the places you've previously applied to for jobs before you go to a networking event, review that. Because if you're out at a networking event and you happen to meet someone by chance that works at that organization, that's the perfect opportunity. You can make a new connection and hopefully gain their support and their rapport to start building a relationship with them so that maybe they can give you information about the company. Maybe they can give you some insight into introducing you to someone that works in the human resources field. You just never know where new connections can lead. So it's great to always be prepared. The last part of the career advancer journey is really to just keep applying. It took me seven to eight months to find my current job, which is a dream job of mine that I've always wanted. I do work full time in the information technology industry, as well as managing my blog and my YouTube. Prior to getting this job, I thought that it would only take maybe two months at the most. Sometimes it takes a lot longer, but if you have a very specific idea in mind of what you want to achieve and what you want to accomplish, don't settle for less. It's far worth it to just be patient, wait it out, and keep going after the job you want. The combination of networking, persistence with applying for new jobs will certainly result in a success of you obtaining the position that you want, and you'll be able to advance your career get the experience, get the skill set, and hopefully get that pay increase that you're looking for. Solid tips there. Now, switching gears for the career switcher, the first place that you want to start is really brainstorming what position and what fields you're interested in transitioning into. Based on the experience that you have, once you can identify Say, for example, you work in the medical field, but you really want to be in legal, you can identify the skills necessary to transition into that legal field from your medical background. One thing I like to recommend people to do is to create a Venn diagram. So it's got two circles, and in the middle is overlapping one area that covers both circles. What you can do is on the left circle, list the skill set and the experience from your background professionally and on the right circle, list the experience and skills for the positions that you're looking at. How can you find these skills? Check out the job descriptions. Look at the job descriptions of the positions that you're interested in transitioning into, and that will tell you the skills and the summary of responsibilities for those jobs. Don't worry if you don't necessarily have the matchup between your personal and professional experience in the past compared to what the jobs are looking for in their new candidates. 
In that middle section where the two circles overlap, you can list those skills that overlap between your experience and what the jobs are looking for. You'll be able to gauge if you're ready to apply now or you need to wait. Depending on how much of the skill set you have from your professional experience, if you are confident and comfortable to apply and you say, hey, I can do that paralegal job even with my medical experience, then go for it. But seven times out of 10, you're probably going to need to wait, gain some more experience and skills, and make sure that you are a qualified candidate for those positions. This is really important. When you're applying for a job, you can always do any job, but are you qualified? In order to gain those skills and the experience, sometimes it may require you to further your education. If you need to get a certificate, obtain a master's degree, or just study a course online, make sure that you have that foundational knowledge so that you're not putting yourself in a situation where you could possibly get hired into a new role and you're asking 21 questions every day on the job because it's so new and different from your past experience that you really feel like you're in a whole new uncharted territory. You can get these skills through educational means, but also through volunteering. For example, you want to get into the legal field with the medical experience. One thing you could think about doing is joining a nonprofit. If you get on a board or a committee to volunteer, you can work with some of the other legal members on the same committee and really get to understand the lingo, the day-to-day, -day, and some of the functions of the legal profession without having to have a formal internship or pay someone to mentor or tutor you along the way. It's a really great way to also build your network. This is important because if your career switching, you may not have a lot of people within the new field that you're pursuing that you can reach out to to ask for questions or just get their coaching and mentorship along the way. So once you find out whether you have the appropriate experience and education to get into that new field, you can start to look at ways to expand that network. There are lots of different organizations for different professions thinking about legal associations or medical associations. There are different groups within every area of the world that have professional organizations you can join. More than likely, you don't necessarily have to be in that field to join the group. And that's a great way to learn the skills to learn the, the industry lingo, and also to continue expanding your network in this new area that you're interested in pursuing. The next couple of tips for the career switcher are pretty similar to the career advancer, but that first set of looking at your skill set and your educational requirements and then going out to obtain more experience and education is really going to be crucial because if you don't have that background knowledge, how can you really do the job to the best of your ability? And don't forget, when you're applying for a position, you're also applying with hundreds, thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of other people. I actually worked in recruiting a few years ago, and you'd be amazed for some very basic positions such as customer service or behavioral counselor, we would get thousands of applicants for one job.
as you're considering applying for new positions, you just have to keep in mind that if you are not the most qualified person, perhaps you should wait until you can obtain that skill set and that experience to really bring the best set of skills to the table so that you can really perform well within that position. That's great, Deborah. Thank you very much. As a person who's uh, not been a, an employee very often in my life, but I've worked in, what are we now, seven different industry areas, I certainly agree with transferring your skill set. So uh, is possible. You just have to learn the world that you're going into. James, any thoughts? I really like that, especially the advice around tailoring your CV and tracking your job search. I apply for jobs constantly because of the contract nature of my work. And I also do quite a lot of hiring on the other side. And the number of times I see CVs which are just generic or have not been tailored towards the job or where someone clearly has forgotten what the nature of the job is when you ring them up for a chat about it. I really like the ideas about looking at your existing skills and those which are transferable. That's something I think I need to look at as well. <laughs> well, we all can do with a brush up of our CV. I actually got asked recently for my CV and I checked it out. The last time I'd updated it was four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> but then I am an entrepreneur and I know one really generally asks for my CV <laughs> these days but someone did that was interesting I shall take your tips glad it could help someone is currently in a job they're not thinking about polishing their resume or making sure that LinkedIn is up to date so just like you said when you're working you're on the grind or you've got a contract that's not top of mind making sure that that's really the first place you start before you enter the job searching journey is really crucial to make sure that you will stand out and be a very polished candidate among the group of applicants. Absolutely. Well, Devro, thank you so much for appearing on the podcast today. It's a great pleasure to have you. Uh, we look forward to talking to you more in the near future. I know we've got a couple of special podcasts in the future with you, um, which James and I are looking forward to immensely. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it, and I look forward to coming back soon. Excellent. Thanks, Devro. Elliott Rhodes is the foremost belt brand that seeks to make people see belts in a whole new way and to show them that a great belt is imperative to dressing with style and individuality. With four stores, three in London and one in Japan, Elliott Rhodes belts are bespoke and innovative. They create beautiful luxury leather belts and buckles in a wide variety of colours and textures and styles. They suit all tastes. Check them out at elliottroads.com. Thank you, Devro. It's a pleasure to speak to you and a pleasure to have you join the Perfect Gentleman Contributor family. We look forward to some more information from you over the ensuing months and indeed years. It's lovely to have another American perspective on the podcast and it's lovely to chat. Absolutely. And job search is such an important thing. More and more of us are going to need to do this on a regular basis. I think that's the way work is going. Good to get that information. So that wraps up today's business sort of focused podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the episode 28 here with us. Next week, we are talking a little bit more business and we're doing some product reviews and having some manners. So it should be fun. Indeed. Looking forward to that. James, always a pleasure. And with you, my friend, have an excellent week. You too. This podcast is brought to you by the Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.